0: but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded and a time for those willing to question what they think they know or what they may believe. Those willing to be uncertain for an hour. I'm Eldon Taylor and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, you're invited to join our chat room by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Uh, our guest often, often joins the chat room and uh, answers questions there. They're a great bunch of people, have a great dialogue, and we usually have uh, some video of the guest So you know, answering some questions so you get a, a, a real feel, a real look at who they are. My partner, Ravinder, is here in the studio and monitoring the chat room now. Do join her, and I'll tell you what. You might congratulate her on completing her first marathon just a couple of years ago. I can remember starting to run with her, and it was a killer. It was a real killer. So, Raph, how does it feel to accomplish a goal that seemed impossible to you just a couple of years ago?
1: Those first runs were killers, and they were for one, two, and three minutes, you know, once we had um, improved up to the three minute. I mean the, trying to complete that three minutes was just dreadful and now the fact that I can run for five hours and more non-stop and just keep going yeah that's, um, that is, that's pretty incredible it feels good it's a classic example of you know one step at a time
0: in well, I, so know, many ways. I can remember the first 12k that we ran and I thought that was a killer and then I think 26.2 miles starting out at 27 degrees you know the hills that are involved in that qualifier and it is a Boston qualifier yes um not that you know, I qualified <laughs> <laughs> many many people think it is the toughest of all the qualifiers because of all those hills i just you know i'm just super super proud of you that was a great accomplishment Congratulations. Thank you. All right, in today's spotlight, I would like to discuss the idea that we may all, in some way, be connected to one mind, a collective mind, the collective unconscious, as suggested by Carl Jung, or perhaps. One larger sense of intelligence that exists. You can put your name on it or you can think of it as just the universe is intelligent and we participate in that intelligence. But moreover, we draw upon it from time to time. Is that possible? Think for a moment about your own experiences. Have you ever had a premonition that came true? Have you ever thought of someone just before that person rang you on the phone? Have you ever felt a gut feeling that warned you, only to discover why the warning just a short time thereafter? Have you ever had a dream that foretold of a future event that seemed to come true? Have the hackles on your neck ever stood up informing you that something was wrong or that danger lurked near? Webster defines a premonition as, quote, a strong feeling that something is about to happen." especially something unpleasant, close quote. In the movie Premonition, Linda Hansen, played by Sandra Bullock, dreams her husband has been killed in an auto accident. When she figures out that this was a premonition, a precognitive sort of experience, she sets out to change the future and prevent the tragedy. How many tales of precognitive dreams have you heard or experienced? In an article... Titled, Is Precognition Real? Cornell University Lab Releases Powerful New Evidence That the Human Mind Can Perceive the Future Professor Darrell Bem informs us that time does not flow strictly forward. Bem puts it this way, quote, Precognition and premonition are themselves special cases of a more general phenomenon, the anomalous retroactive influence of some future event on an individual's current responses, whether those responses are conscious or non-conscious, cognitive or affective. In general, according to a 2002 survey by the U.S. National Science Foundation, 60% of adult Americans agree that some individuals possess psychic powers. Now, most scientists do not agree with this, but that doesn't make it untrue. When I speak to people, most folks have experienced some form of sigh, ranging from deja vu to precognition. The real problem for those who reject this possibility as real is that this sort of experience is subjective. So to that end, Professor Ben actually set up an experiment that could be used to replicate his experimental findings. Unfortunately very mixed results have led to many questions about his initial findings. The methodology appears to be very, very tight, but the replications, well, that's another question. So where are we? Is precognition real or not? I, for one, am convinced precognition, premonitions, and more are real. Why? Because I have repeatedly experienced them myself. Indeed, I have shared many of these stories in my book. What does that mean? Those are my faults. Yeah, my faults. <laughs> that that may be true, too. My thoughts. What are yours, Ravinder?
1: I find the whole subject matter really interesting. You know, it gets kind of murky when you talk about premonitions. I mean, I've had experiences that were so crystal clear that I was 100% positive that it was a premonition of some kind, and it didn't come to anything at all. Um, Some of the ones that did come about, you know, they weren't as clear to me. But where I get the bulk of my evidence is from your experiences. You have done some really interesting things in the time that I've been with you that it's like, no, there's definitely, You mean, you have certainly plucked information out of the ether, that I had no idea how you managed to do, and uh, yeah. So I'm convinced that these things exist. I think they get confused because I think lots of people want them to exist more, and so they can fantasize about them themselves or attribute daydreams to real premonitions or stuff.
0: Let's get stuff. some it's framing here, some context here, if we can, a little bit, okay? Because I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know challenge you a little bit on you I haven't experienced this, but then I have to qualify it because okay, you're a scientist, you're working in a lab, you're a microbiologist, you know, train in hard science. You you know, you you for all intent and purposes I've, it's a materialistic world. You visit your first psychic fair, and you see something like Reiki, and they're selling how you can be a Reiki person. You laugh and scoff and walk away. What nonsense! Who would believe this silly stuff, etc. But you saw yourself a psychic, and the psychic said, "You'll have to, you know, fix this for me." If I paraphrase it incorrectly. You're going to marry a doctor, you're going to move out of country, you're going to da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. All right. Is that true or false?
1: Absolutely true. I was going to move to America, marry a doctor who wore cowboy boots. (laughs) I was in London at the time. Nobody wore cowboy boots. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then when I went back to see him sometime afterwards, he told me I was pregnant. And at that time, I was like six weeks pregnant. And he couldn't possibly have known. I mean, I barely knew, but he did. So, yeah.
0: Okay. I've certainly
1: had some interesting experiences. So you have had
0: those experiences. I think, you know, one of the things that I try to draw out, and what does it mean, is we all have these anomalous experiences, uh, especially when we're younger. But we're taught that they're not real. You know, it's, it's a figment of our imagination. Or we can't accommodate them. You know, our psychology can't fit them into some explanation. So we just kind of ignore them. And we, we do more and ignore them. We actually repress them. You, for example, heard me speak about this once and said, OK, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and remember all of those experiences I've had. And so you wrote down all of these experiences. And then you went away, and you couldn't remember any of them. I forgot
1: them again. The only time I can remember them is when I go back and look over my list. And so whenever I do spontaneously remember something, I do try to put it on that list. And I find that itself absolutely fascinating, because I think that is the case for the vast majority of us. And, uh, yeah, it's a variation on the, the veil and... Yeah, I, it's just, it intrigues me.
0: A lot of revelation, self-discovery available in that. I think that's part of what I mean when I say to you living into ourselves. Okay. Um, every week we read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week our show featured Professor John Barge, and we discussed his work and book, Before You Know It, The Unconscious Reason We Do What We Do. Uh, Great interview. If you missed it, please go get it, and and Professor Barge will be back on the show. I think we've got him scheduled to come back in December now. Is that correct? Okay. And we'll get into some of the very specific things. But, you know, last week's show was essentially the theory, how it works, why it works, and whether or not we have free will. Uh, Mike wrote, this was the interview which hit the wow button. I must listen again and get the book. Brian wrote, really good show, quick speaking to the point, articulate guest covering foundationally challenging material. Can't wait for his next visit to the show. Richard wrote, such an important subject, really a subject central to just being a functioning human being. Moving on, Jack wrote, I have used your subliminal programs to help with several problems in the past 20 years. I highly recommend Intertalk programs as very helpful. And Brett wrote, my name is Brett and I am a 49-year-old man living in Winter Haven, Florida. I'm a huge fan of Dr. Taylor and the Intertalk programs. I purchased the Pillars of Success package and I had a very good experience with it and I'm still using it regularly as my go-to mind rescue kit. I have, however, come to understand that at 49 years of age, I am deeply programmed and am in a fight for the very freedom of my own thought. My point here is that I believe in this technology and feel that it will be a main tool in my journey to freedom. I think that inner talk and the other tools that Dr. Taylor has created will be the front lines of this battle. Well, thank you very much, Brett, and all of you. Um, it, that's all the time that we're going to take for letters today, but we do love your comments, so please keep them coming. You can opine by writing to me at Eldon, That's E L D O N at EldenTaylor.com or by joining me on Facebook at Dr. Eldon Taylor. We do sincerely appreciate your thoughts, your ideas, and your feedback. Now to today's show, The Premonition Code with Dr. Julia Mossbridge. And actually, it's Professor Julia Mossbridge. So let me tell you a little about today's guest. Julia Mossbridge, M.A. Ph.D., is a futurist trained in cognitive neuroscience. She is a fellow at the University of Noetic Science, and a visiting scholar at Northwestern University in the Department of Psychology. Dr. Mossbridge is the co-author of Transcendent Mind, one of the first academic books to examine paranormal experiences, published by the American Psychological Association in 2017. Her research focus is precognition and the possibility of time travel. Deepak Chopra had this to say about her new book, The Premonition Code, quote, Dr. Julia Mossbridge and co-author Teresa Chung show us that our everyday notions of time do not reflect the scientific reality of how time can work in our lives. They dare to examine the so-called anomaly of precognition in a clear-headed way, hopeful that as a society we can build terms, teams, excuse me, of positive precogs who globally move us toward positive events and away from negative ones. This book is a major contribution to our understanding of reality and the dormant potential for the so-called supernormal that exists within all of us. Read it and discover the power of time within your mind. Close quote. Okay, on that, let's get her in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Dr. Julia Mossbridge. Hello, Doctor.
2: Thanks so much for having me on your show. I, I got to listen to the beginning part, and I'm pretty excited about our overlap of interest. <laughs>
0: okay. We like to know three things on this show, Dr. Mossbridge. Who is the messenger? What is the message? And, of course, how do we use it? So to that end, what are you passionate about, and what led you to writing your new book?
2: I'm passionate about love and time and understanding uh, the, mechanic, the mechanics of each of them and the relationship between them. Um, that's the first question. What's the second question? That's the most important question. What's the other one?
0: (laughs) Two part, your passion and why you wrote your book.
2: Yeah. So I wrote my book because I wanted people to understand that, um, there's, there are different perspectives that are scientifically valid to hold yourself in relationship to time and that, um, the common experience of precognition or premonition, uh, Similar experiences have been validated in the laboratory, and that if you could understand yourself in relationship to time in a different way, it could actually provide a really positive life changes.
0: Okay, the term psi, psi, mm-hmm. denotes anomalous processes of information or energy transfer that are currently unexplained, at least in terms of you know are known, and I'll put that known in quotation marks, physical or biological mechanisms. Now, you correct me if I'm wrong, but there's really two variants of psi. You know, uh, we have a conscious cognitive awareness, which we think of as precognition, and then we have affective apprehension, which we think of as a premonition. Um, the, an inferential so like process, if you will. i
2: correct you, because like you you, you're wrong. Um. Sorry, but you, you invited that. So um, there's actually multiple types of psi. They're not all precognition. The two that you, met, that you discussed were forms of precognition. But in fact, telepathy, clairvoyance, psychokinesis. And oh, no, no,
0: no, I know that. But I mean with specific mm-hmm. as, as we're discussing the idea of a premonition. I'm trying uh-huh. to, if you will, I'm trying to demarcate the difference between precognition and premonition. One being sure. conscious, the other being affective. So you heard um, today's spotlight, no, Dr. I Moss. So
2: I disagree, I, just, I guess what I'm saying is I disagree with the demarcation. Oh, okay. T-
0: well, please.
2: Yeah, yeah. So you can be conscious of a premonition, and you could be unconscious of a premonition. It could, it could feel like a compulsion to do something, and you don't know why. Or you could consciously feel, I have a premonition that no, there's going to be a fire. Or I have a premonition I'm going to win the lottery. It could be positive or negative. And a precognition is a more scientific name. That includes even more phenomena, which include precog- uh, premonition, I'm sorry, which is really the feeling, but also includes cognitive behavioral physiological phenomena under the same umbrella. So precognition is the more scientific and more of the umbrella term. And uh, so that that's the way I think about it, at least, and at least people in the field.
0: All right. I'm looking at Bim's article, and his article essentially defines... Precognition is a conscious cognitive awareness, and, and I'm going to ask you about Bim's paper. and He, affi- well, that's and he defines he says it. He
2: defines that because even his own paper, he uses precognition as unconscious. So that's interesting that that paper says that. I think I know exactly what paper you're talking about, but um, yeah, that's not consistent with his own work.
0: Okay. All right. It, it's academic. Let me ask you this, then, Dr. Mossbridge. Uh, sure. You heard today's spotlight. What have I got wrong?
2: Um, I mean is that a useful conversation to have I feel, I feel like we must have gotten off on the wrong foot Partly because um, I did not receive an email about when to meet And so I feel like there were some communication problems But I really do want to have a conversation about the book And about anything you're interested in I just want to make sure that if you say correct me if I'm wrong That I correct you if you're wrong
0: Okay well I want to talk to you about your work And of course great, we're going great. to talk about your book as well but your work is more than just your book, and the implications to what uh, your work is—that uh, can often be more interesting than the data that is a result of your work. So, sure, if that's sure. all right with you, we'll proceed.
2: Whatever you'd like to talk about.
0: All right. Have you attempted to replicate Bem's erotic photo precognition work?
2: No, I'm 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 not particularly interested in that in that experiment. Uh, the work that I've been attempting to replicate by creating an app with the Institute of Noetic Sciences is um, the Retroactive Priming work, which was uh, the more replicable effect, one of the more replic- replicable effects. So that's what I've, I've been working on, along with uh, Arno DeLorme and Marilyn Schlitz have been doing that. And it's, it's a really interesting uh, phenomenon because people know about the Ben stuff and they know about some of the complaints about the methodology, but they often don't know about the replication there was a recent meta-analysis um, looking at 90 replications of, of those experiments and showing an overarching, very significant effect. And people often don't know about that. So um, I wanted to make sure your listeners know about that. It's an impressive meta-analysis.
0: Let me ask you this, since you're at least familiar with it. Um, in all <laughs> eight research. experiments, in all eight <laughs> experiments, there seemed to be a difference between a thrill seeker and, mm-hmm. a th- and thrill avoidance. Have you mm-hmm. found that those that are thrill seekers are more inclined to be precognitive or experience premonition than those that are um, inclined to be thrill avoidance?
2: No, I haven't done that. That's Daryl Ben's work, so that's not the work that I've done. But I could tell you from the research that I did for the book, Premonition Code, that um, the, most, the most replicable effects in terms of personality types for precognition are uh, there are three of them. And one of them I think you'd be really interested in because of your interest in inner talk. So the, the three of them are um, extroversion, so people who are more extroverted tend to be, have better precognitive skill in the laboratory. Um, openness to experience, so people who are more willing to try new things that are reasonable uh, have better precognition in the laboratory on average. And the third one is the one I think you might be most interested in, which is belief in precognition. People who actually believe that it's um, something that is not a coincidence and that occurs at a rate above chance uh, perform better on laboratory tests of precognition. So that speaks to me of the inner talk stuff. All
0: right. For me, as I read your book and I looked at that, I, you know, I, I saw some correlation. But that's very interesting. What's your what's your thought Doctor, on the implication that time is not what we think it is. I mean, um, moving forward, that is in some linear fashion.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the major implications of uh, precognition work and also the recent work in quantum mechanics on retrocausality are pushing causes or pushing effects into the past as a result of causes in the future. Um, Both of those lines of research seem to indicate that time isn't what we think it is. Even if, you know, back in 1905 with Einstein's special theory of relativity, even if that didn't convince you that time isn't what we think it is, um, certainly the more recent retrocausality and precognition work indicate that our sort of folk wisdom about time, that events move from past to present to future, and our experience of them flows from sort of the present moment, um, memories of the past, and and not being able to truly predict the future, that that is... um, Sort of our folk wisdom, but it's not accurate. I tend to, I tend to liken it to um, how long it took physicists and others to recognize that there was more to the electromagnetic spectrum than just the visible light area of the spectrum. Sure. So uh, when that was discovered, it, it became clear that our perception, our perceptual um, skills were limited by the, our perceptual organs. So just because our eyes could only see a certain portion of them electromagnetic spectrum we decided that that's all that existed and we had to convince ourselves otherwise and i think the same thing can be said you know in 50 years or so or maybe 10 years when we look back on this period where it took a while to convince people just because you think time is moving in this way that's because of your perceptual um organs essentially and the way that our brains are working but not necessarily because that's actually how time works
0: so think of this in terms of something that's a little more speculative uh, and philosophical. Okay. Uh, if, if we, you know, if we can have premonitions and, and precognition is real, and your book is very convincing that they are real, then <clears throat> does that mean that, you know, there's a, some form of predestination, foreordination, and our world is predetermined?
2: Yeah, that's a really, that's you know, that's the question. That is the number one question, right? Um, So there's so many ways in which precognition could be real, could be a real effect, and the world doesn't have to be uh, predetermined. Events don't have to be predetermined. And one way would be if um, what we're sensing with precognition is probabilities of an event rather than the event itself. And um, another way would be if uh, the world isn't predetermined at all, and what we're doing is, sending back information from our future selves into the past. So it completely isn't, but we're essentially reading our future mind of what does happen. Um, so those are two sort of strange but interesting examples of, of what could be going on. It's very difficult to test, although there's some evidence that um, the version where you're looking at probabilities might be what's happening. And that's based on Dean Radin's work and some other folks' work, uh, Dick Bierman's work, related to uh, experiments in which they set up a probability of a particular event and then they change it at the last second after either the physiological measure has been taken or after the behavioral measure has been taken. And um, then you can get into all sorts of arguments because people have been able to predict the change of the probability. <laughs> and so um, it's it's really an open question right now, and uh, I think it's a really interesting one. But I can tell you that psychologically, People do much better when they don't feel that uh, the future is set in stone. People do much better psychologically when they feel that they have free will and that they can change and influence future events. And so that's what I tend to think is the right way to talk about it until we know know, anything scientifically that, that tells us anything otherwise.
0: Okay, and, and and I should take a break right this minute, but I want to tie this together so we're not separated by a break. You know, and I'm, I know you know this: uh, Libet's cortical evoked potential, telling us that you know everything comes from the unconscious. fMRI today showing that a technician can actually know what we're going to choose, on average, you know, three to six seconds in advance of our choice. Uh, and I know you know all about this kind of stuff. So, and I and and men like Franz Stahl, you know, have actually told me uh, on air that free will is a grand illusion. We have this element of precognition and predestination, and then we have this correspondence. Uh, with perhaps the absence of free will or the illusion of free will and I argue against that I think you know yeah there's an underlying program that that we actually rely on and we don't think enough but we can't choose to to do differently do you see because your work has shown that you can use precognition to actually alter the future so do you think that free will and, and all of this, the predetermined kinds of paths that we take that they correlate in some way.
2: Um, okay, well that's a that's a big question. We probably should approach it after the break. But if we have another minute, I'd just like to say a thing or two. If that's okay.
0: Yes, we'll take the time.
2: Okay. Um, so first of all, uh, I haven't yet shown that that you can. I don't think any. I don't think it's possible right now to show that you can change a future event based. In response to precognition because the word change suggests that it was one way and that you've made it another but what I what I could say is that there's some evidence that you could influence the future event um, and it's a tricky difference and I know it sounds silly but it really is a difference between influencing something doesn't necessarily mean that there was going to be another way it just means that your um, your efforts have made it it kind of means the same thing God I mean I Sorry, I just, um, I, the word change to me suggests something a little bit more strict than influence, but maybe I'm just wrong there. And uh, yeah, 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 I might just be wrong there, but sorry to get off on that tangent. Anyway, um, <laughs> what I, what I feel is a lot of people are resistant to the idea of saying that we don't have free will. And the problem is that what is not defined in that conversation is who we are talking about. If we're just talking about the conscious mind and things you're conscious of, of course that part doesn't have free will because it's entirely set up by things that you're not conscious of. So if that's the we, and we have free will, then yeah, of course it's provably the case that that the conscious mind doesn't control itself. It's being controlled by processes that, that, that it doesn't know of, it's not aware of. But then when you say the bigger we, like so all of you, your body, your, all of your mind, including all the non-conscious parts, which is most of it, does that have free will? Now that's a really interesting question, and I think that um, you know it's an untestable one. But I tend to believe that it has some kind of free will, but that's a belief. I don't know how to I don't know how to test it.
0: Gotcha, and we all want to believe that. All right, we are going to take that break. We're speaking with Dr. Julia Mossbridge about her work and book, The Premonition Code. It's a great read. Do go get yourself a copy of it. You can learn more about our guest by visiting her websites at thepremonitioncode.com and or mossbridgeinstitute.com. Now we have a video for you uh, of our guest answering the question, is there any consciousness in deep sleep? So if you're not already in a chat room, now the time to get on over there, and you can do that again by going to ProvocativeEnlightenment.com forward slash chat. All right, please stay tuned. We'll be right back.
3: You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Change has never been easier. Whether you wish to lose weight, stop smoking, build better relationships, become creative, enjoy ultra-prosperity, or simply relax and promote self-healing, InnerTalk has been repeatedly demonstrated effective in the most rigorous of scientific studies. Our customers love InnerTalk. Sean wrote, I have struggled with bulimia for over 30 years and have never been able to lose weight without restoring to it, until I used InnerTalk. Vicky wrote, my hubby has been using the Stop Snoring CD and already his dangerous and raucous snoring levels have stopped. Celeste wrote, I recently graduated from Taft Law School with honors. I'm writing to tell you how much your Intertalk CD, Excel in Exams, has helped me. With over 300 titles to choose from, there is something for everyone. Check it out today by going to intertalk.com.
0: Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Elvin Taylor. Just joined us. We're chatting with Dr. Julia Mossbridge about her work and book, *The Premonition Code: The Science of Precognition*. Uh, it's a great read. Do get a copy of the book, and you can learn more about our guests by visiting her websites at thepremonitioncode.com, one word, thepremonitioncode.com, and or mossbridgeinstitute.com. All right, every week we ask our guests for their favorite music, music that has some real meaning to them. As you know by now, music psychology is an avocation of mine, and it's a field of research with practical relevance in many areas, including intelligence, creativity, personality, and social behavior. All right, Doctor, your chosen music is Living with a Dreaming Body by Poydog Pondering. So share with our audience, if you will, why this music is so special to you, and how it informs us about who you are.
2: Well, thanks for asking. You're the only host who um, has asked what my favorite song is. I loved hearing it. Um, it, it living with the Dreaming Body, I love uh, all the different voices. I love the celebration of it. I love the, um, I love the flute or piccolo, or, or I guess that might be recorder on it. But also I love the lyric that... Um, we're all essentially living with the dreaming body, and, and, and dreams have become so important to me in my work and in my life experience, but also that kind of dream, like at night, but also the kind of dream of, you know, maybe it's the case that our daily experience really is very dreamlike. So much of what we receive from the outside world is actually fabricated, um, and very and we have very little modulation of, of our conscious experience by reality.
0: So it kind of reflects that as well. Cool. All right, let me just pick up from where we left off. I've got one more question, if I may, before we get right into your book. Uh, Can one infer that if you, you know, have some precognitive awareness, if you're alert to this, that you might be able to influence the future? And if not, well, then you're just kind of what? S.O.L.?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so one of the things we talk about in the book is what we call the positive precog time worldview. Uh, Positive precog is something like, I don't know if you've seen Minority Report, but they call these people who float in bats of goo precogs, and their job is to see the crime that's going to be committed in the future, and it just seems like a horrible way to live. So we decided to turn it around and create something called a positive precog, which is someone who wants to create positive change in the world with with, um, the effects of their... Uh, accurate precognition, and I think it could be a real positive force in the world for change. But in terms of the time worldview, because we don't know the answer to this question of is everything set in stone or not, and because there's some decent evidence, at least from quantum mechanics, that everything is not set in stone, and because psychologically it really works better for people to feel like they have an impact in their lives, We tell people we might as well, right now, given the current scientific evidence, espouse a world view in which time is not set in stone, and that your your um, actions now can potentially influence something that happens in the future. And that sorry, go ahead.
0: No, I, I don't want to cut you off. Please finish.
2: Oh, and then the third thing. Oh, yeah, sure. The third thing is just, however, having said that no one on the planet has 100% control over what happens. And that's a really important point, too, because people tend to oscillate between, um, I'm, you know, I'm God, I have total control, and, oh, I'm totally helpless, I've got no control. It, you know, if they're not feeling psychologically well, it can be one or the other. Neither one is healthy. So we talk about how it's good to hold those opposite views, um, opposite to the psychologically unhealthy ones, which are... You can influence the future, but but at the same time, you don't have a hundred percent control. All
0: right now, I, I want to get into more detail on on each of those points, time uh, permitting. But I again, you know, sometimes it's the implications to work uh, that fascinates me the most. Uh, and so I think about your precogs and. Yeah. And what you said about, well, if we can influence the world in a better way, and I don't even remember, I'm going to reflect back on something. There was a period in my life that I belonged to a secret order. And on a given night of the week, at a given time, all members entered into a private sanctuary for meditation. And it was the same meditation. It was always about influencing something in the world, influencing an individual. Uh, in some positive way, uh, et cetera and so forth. okay, and I'm sure you're familiar with those kinds of organizations, and I'll just leave it unnamed. All right, there came a point. I looked at this and I thought you know I don't I don't really understand all the ramifications here. This looks like what they're doing, I would support based on what they're saying, but I don't have all the facts. I'm not sure that this is ethical, and I withdrew and ceased an involvement with that organization. When you look at doing the best, improving the world, do you have any concern that maybe the standard a person applies to improve the world is not really an improvement, it only looks like one, or that it is creating a forced world for others, which in a sense deprives them of their co-creative input in this universe that we live in. So I'm looking specifically at the ethical. What What do you think the ethical implications of that are? Yeah, I mean, it, it's
2: a, that's the... A, what you've outlined there is the basic problem with any kind of organization that's trying to do good in the world, right? So, right? so one response, well, yeah. So one response to all the trouble in the world is to say, "I'm not going to do anything because I might be doing the wrong thing." That in itself is a, not a helpful response. So you've, that that in in itself is the wrong thing for some situations, right? And then if you try to do something, you could be wrong, and you could really have good intentions in your heart, and that's. That's essentially the human condition. So to me, uh, precognition is no different than any other skill, learning to read, learning how to uh, change politicians' minds, um, writing stories or, or movies that influence people's thinking. All of those skills have great responsibility with them and require some kind of assessment of your own ethics and getting clear about what you want to do what you're wanting to create in the world and being transparent about that with other people. And if other people don't agree, then maybe they'll do something else that opposes that, and that's you know where we get our political parties. So um, it seems to me the best you can do is be honest about what are the changes you'd like to make in the world and then pursue those changes. One of the means is through precognition or influencing remotely, although I think precognition is more of a receptive or perceptual skill rather than an influencing skill. But it can certainly give us information about things we might want to avoid, like terrorist attacks. Or, or It's, it's difficult to argue that it's a good idea for people to die in terrorist attacks. So if you have uh, people who are skilled at getting precognitive information about the location and timing of terrorist attacks, it seems that um, it would be a good bet that many people would think, hmm, that's not a bad use of precognition. Uh, other things are, of course, sketchier. Um, you could, certain people want to use precognition for corporate espionage. I, you know, in, in the book on our list of ethics, we explicitly point out that if you're going to call yourself a, a positive precog, any espionage of any kind that's not in the service of saving lives doesn't seem uh, ethical. So each person will have their own ethics, and part of becoming an adult is, of course, figuring out what your ethics are and how you're going to try to enact and embody those ethics in the, in the world, and the, the precognition is no different.
0: I, you know, I totally agree with you. Uh, to do nothing is doing something, but <clears throat> I do think, as opposed to follow a group think, we really need to do our individual homework in this day and age. Uh, there's too much um, disinformation, misinformation out there about what goes on. Um, before nine okay. eleven, before nine eleven, many many people reported dreaming about the collisions with the towers um that sort of precognitive dream do you do you well first are you familiar with that and then second having that knowledge if if that had occurred what would you say is the appropriate responsibility for those individuals to have taken regarding that pre-information yeah so a lot of that
2: information um so, yes, I'm familiar with that. I've, I've read the studies of that. Um, and even my sister, who is an artist, many artists get information precognitively. cognitively, and a couple of weeks before the attack, she had painted a picture of had four quadrants. And one quadrant was the Twin Towers. We lived in Chicago, so they weren't really common in her work. One quadrant were uh, two men in a turban. One quadrant was um, two airplanes bursting into flame, and another quadrant was a dollar sign. And she said when she drew it, she had no idea just said, here's some art that came out of me. Um, but of course, several weeks later, it became clear. Uh, and, and there are many people who have these impressions. And that brings up something really important, which is that um, I don't know anyone who told a story that said, yes, three weeks or two weeks or one day or you know, the night before the event, I dreamed that, or I had the, the knowledge that the Twin Towers were going to be bombed by airplanes and that. Uh, and I wanted to tell everyone to get out of here. They're all sort of more vague feelings or um, bad omen type type situations. And so that's part of the problem is when we don't uh, bring together and utilize the technology that we have right now for bringing together different people's impressions, if we don't if we don't utilize that for preventing events like this, um, then, then we're throwing away a natural resource that I think we have. I mean, imagine if we had a national database for, look, you have a bad feeling. And yeah. all of a sudden it started booming with, wow, everyone in New York City near the Twin Towers is having these bad feelings, something's going on. That would be a very different story, you know, if we could scientifically assess each of those feelings. And, and you could imagine weighting waiting people's reports according to their past performance. If, if someone consistently is um, having bad feelings, but they're paranoid thoughts and they don't seem to link to anything, you would throw them out of the system. And if someone was consistently correct, you would weight their reports at a higher level. It's not that hard to imagine how to do this. It's, It's kind of silly that we're not doing it.
0: All right, so you've thought of it. You have an institute. Are you building a national database? Well,
2: yeah, so the first step is to train people about precognition, that it's a common experience, it's a it's a it's a normal experience. That it could be used for good. There's nothing there's nothing really negative about it per se. And then we have this website, thepremonitioncode.com, that actually has a training area where people can train themselves with a random number generator to predict a picture. And that that's not the same as predicting a world event like 9/11. But the point is, for the people who are fairly gifted, then they can we can go ahead and potentially. Uh, identify who they are and contact them to ask if they would like to be part of
0: such a thing. I look forward to the time that you actually have uh, that kind of database or the world has that kind of database because I think it'd make a real difference. You know, this is a bit of a a change of subjects, but uh, I have to ask simply because I was involved in law enforcement for many, many years, supervising investigations, running lie detection examinations. That's how I used my education. And, uh, That's really cool. Um, More than one. Pardon? That's
2: really cool.
0: That's really interesting work. Uh, Okay. Uh, On more on one occasion, I used a psychic. And I can remember one instance where we had a disappearance. uh, this fellow's pickup truck was under uh, an old bridge, and the window was shot out. There was some blood spatter, and he was nowhere around. And I took a psychic out there, and the psychic... Described a sawed off shotgun, uh, a car, and a plate, and two brothers. And within a couple of hours, we had the sawed off shotgun, the two brothers, the car. They had been under the bridge, but they weren't involved in this particular crime. Nevertheless, I went away knowing that there's, you know, she saw something. And it led exactly to what she saw. You know, I think she had three or four numbers of the plate. They were brothers. They did have an illegal sawed-off shotgun. Anyway, you work with law enforcement. Mm -hmm. How does a premonition or precognition, I mean, what was your role? How did you interface with law enforcement? Well, you know, um, since
2: I was a child, I've had precognitive dreams that are fairly detailed, and I've kept a dream journal, and a couple of years ago, I, I dreamed in detail about a terrorist attack in um, Kuwait City uh, during the noontime prayers, and, it, and in my dream, it was all shown to me. It's very rare to have a dream where it's shown to you, and in fact, the letters of the date were shown to me in the dream, so it was laid out for me. The only thing that wasn't clear was the exact location, which, by the way, makes it completely useless, <laughs> because... I'm like, great, a terrorist attack at some mosque at the Noontime Prayers on this date, um, and I don't know what the location is. So what, what do you do with that? Um, again, if we had a database, if someone else had a dream that just had a location and an attack but didn't have the date, then maybe we could put them together, right? But in any case, there was nothing I could do, and I felt really helpless, and I told myself that if I had another dream like that, I would contact authorities. And I did have another dream like that. I contacted a friend who was in the Navy, and I said, "What do I do? You know, how am I actually going to reach people who will take me seriously?" And he said, "Well, you know, you got a PhD and you study this stuff; they might take you seriously. Let me let me hook you up with someone." And um, not naming any particular agency, but they hooked me up with a with an agency uh, with a guy, a special agent at an agency, and um, and we've been working together on and off ever since. And at first, it was all dreams. And I had the weird experience of actually dreaming. I was in his body, and I told him about his arm and things like that. And then that got too weird and decided and also too useless, right? Like I would see things that he already knew about because it was as if I was looking through his eyes. But but he doesn't need more information about what he experiences. He already knows that. So we changed it up. And um, instead, I started doing what I call controlled precognition, which is what we teach in the book and on the website, which is where you sit down and you say, now I'm going to... Try to get information about um any question that's associated with this eight digit number and so oh. he would ask he would write down an eight digit number and then he would ask put a question next to it on a piece of paper but he wouldn't tell me the question he would just send me the number and mm-hmm. then uh, it's it's much easier it's really ironic but it's much easier to get information that's accurate when you don't know the question because when you mm-hmm. know the question your conscious mind starts analyzing things and saying oh it could be this it could be this if you don't know the question all you've got is the information that comes in. So
0: that's how wow. I've been working with them. Yeah. All right. Uh, you know, we're running short of time, and I've got two really important questions. I would normally separate them, but I'm going to throw them to you at the same time uh, for the benefit of our audience. First okay, one. Okay, great. First one, you can improve your psychic ability your precognitive premonition ability when I read your book, and our audience should be able to learn how to do that, you explain. Second, you can make money in the market, and you've made quite a bit uh, in the market utilizing this tool. Flesh that out for us, if you will, in one minute or less.
2: Okay. Actually, no, it's not I who has made that money. I'm an advisor for a company that has made that money, um, and uh, you can find out more about this organization. It's called the Applied Cog precognition project. Marty Rosenblatt's project uh, made that money and then um, using precognition. And what you do is you ask people who are skilled to predict what picture they'll see tomorrow. And the picture they see tomorrow is based on the direction of the market. So if the market goes up, they see one picture. If the market goes down, they see another picture. And they have no idea what picture they're going to see, but each of those pictures are tied to bets. And so if 13 people say I'm going to see a picture of a cow holding a toothbrush in its mouth. <laughs> then they say, "Okay, well that one's associated with an up bet. so we'll make an up bet on the market." And then the next day they send them the correct picture, whether it's the up bet or down bet picture. And so that's a summary of, of how people do that. And yeah, if you want to learn how to do that using my website, is a, is a great is a great tool.
0: Okay. All right. Well, we are out of time. I want to encourage all of you to go get the book, The Premonition Code, The Science of Precognition, How Sensing the Future Can Change Your Life. It's a great read. The Premonition Code. Don't miss it. I want to thank you, Dr. Mossberg, for your willingness to share with us uh, today and uh, for your time and, and energy in doing so. We've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. I hope you'll join us again next week, same time, same place. Until then, remember, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com.
3: If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Elden at eldentaylor.com.